If you haven't met me before, I'm Melanie. I'm one of the leaders here in Real Life Church. Um, I'm a mummy. I've got two little boys, Levi and Asher. I'm obviously married to Stuart. Um, we moved here a couple of years ago to start Real Life Church. And I preach semi-regularly. Usually Stuart gives me a couple of weeks where I can do a little mini-series. Or He basically says to me, preach what you think the church needs to hear. And so um, while I was praying about what to speak on, on the two weeks that I've got, I felt God really speak to me about courage. So if you're on Facebook and you're a friend of ours, Real Life Church, you'll notice that I put up part one on Facebook is going to be all about courage to be who God says you are. So this morning is all about identity, really. Um, and then part two is going to be courage to be what God says you can be. And so these are the prophetic that is over your life, the prophetic that's over us as a church, and the general call of God that is over our lives as Christians from the Bible. So I want to talk about, in two weeks' time, I want to talk about weighing prophetic stuff and then mixing it with courage and doing something about it. So I want to get very practical in the next couple of weeks. This week, I want to really address your hearts. So this week is all about heart. It's all about the the real issue, which is, do we truly believe who God says we are? Do we truly believe who we are? Because if I'm honest, we function out of who we think we are. So who we think we are is how we then in turn behave. So what is in your heart, what is in your head about yourself, then is shown in your behaviour. You can see it in people's lives. So courage to believe what God says about you and be it. So I'm going to get you to do a little bit of work during the preach because I don't like to just stand up and talk. I like a little bit of interaction. So I'd like you first, if you've got a pen, to grab a pen. If you don't, just memorise it in your head, I would like you to tell me what courage is. So I want a dictionary definition from you of what you think courage is. Has everyone got a sheet? Good. So your definition, so I googled it and they give you like, you know, the wiki definition and the Oxford dictionary. I want Wendy's definition, Joe's definition, Tongay's definition. I want your definition of courage. Okay, for the sake of people listening online, you should also be writing down your definition of courage right now. Has anyone got one or something they would like to share? Yes, at the back there, a young gentleman. Nice. People who aren't scared to do the things that they feel called to do. Come on, give me some more. Pardon? Conquering fear. Lovely. Yes. Risk taking. Anyone else? Yeah. Doing something you find hard or scary. Brilliant. Yes, at the back. Standing up for your beliefs, yes. Anyone else? I'll read to you what I found out on Google. So Google says, 
under loads of different dictionary definitions. Courage, referred to as bravery, boldness, fearlessness, fortitude and intrepidity, is the ability to confront fear, pain, danger, uncertainty or intimidation. Physical courage is courage in the face of physical pain, hardship, death or threat of death, while moral courage is the ability to act rightly in the face of popular opposition, shame, scandal or discouragement. Another one said, courage is the ability to do something that you know is right or good, even though it's dangerous, frightening or very difficult. All your definitions were excellent as well. The root of the word courage is actually it's the Latin word, which is cor, C-O-R, which means heart. So courage is a heart issue. It's what's in your heart, therefore what you operate out of. I looked up some brilliant quotes from kind of famous people. Nelson Mandela said, The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Billy Graham, so he's a a famous Christian evangelist, said, courage is contagious. I love this bit. When a brave man takes a stand, the spine of others are often stiffened. See, courage is inspiring. So when someone steps out courageously, there's something in us as people that just thinks, oh, I want to have a go at that, I want to do that. Um, Muhammad Ali said, he who is not courageous enough to take risks will accomplish nothing in life. And then this person who I've never heard of, Ambrose Redmoon. Anyone heard of David Nopes or him or her? Anyone heard of that person? No, me either. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is far more important than fear. A brilliant quote. And I think paraphrase of that is used in The Dark Knight. So maybe it was Batman who said it first. I'm, I'm not really sure. Have a little think for a moment about who the courageous people are in your life. So who would you class as courageous? Who do you look at and go, man, I admire their courage. Just have a little think and maybe jot down a couple of names of people you admire and you think, that person is courageous. I notice their courage. I feel inspired by them to be courageous myself. So I'm going to give you a moment You can do this if you're listening online as well. Just have a little think about who is courageous in your life. And maybe just shout me out some names. You don't have to tell me any details, but shout me out some names of some people you think are truly courageous. And I'll tell you some of mine. Bear Grylls. Bear Grylls, yes. Oh, John, that's super. Bear Grylls. Yeah. Esther Lythe. Who's that? Okay, a friend. Esther Lyde, a friend. Who else? Gareth and, Gareth and Nicola. These are people who've gone church planting somewhere else. Who else? Right. Oh, go on. Who? Are they friends as well? 
Nice. Brilliant story. Lovely. Yes? <laughs> Woohoo! Us lot. We're courageous. I would agree with that. Yes. <laughs> In my life, I've been... Um, fortunate enough to see some true acts of courage. Um, my dad left when I was little and my mum made a decision when I was two and my brother was just eight weeks old to be a single mummy and raise us. And every time I see her and every time I spend time with her, I just think she is probably the most courageous person I know because I think it would have been easy to give in or give up but actually she said she never attempted to be a replacement dad she just said I'll just be the best mum that you can possibly have and just went at it and so daily I would see this woman who is as far as I'm concerned truly courageous in my life Uh, my brother had a horrible bike accident at 17 and Um, should have really lost his leg but a consultant came in at the last minute and said we've got something we want to try and they basically saved his leg but they said he'd never play sport again and probably always walk with some kind of a limp and my brother just decided that wouldn't be what his life looked like and left hospital walking, Um, was up this weekend because last weekend he cycled in a triathlon and his bit he cycled was 26 miles and I just said to him this morning I'm so proud of you I'm so proud of you for not listening to what people said your life could be but actually deciding that it would be something different my cousin um, had cancer as a child a really rare form of cancer um, and was told at about the age of 11 was told she would probably never have a period and therefore never have children And she decided that was not what her life was going to look like. And so now is a mummy to three beautiful girls, married, born again, serving a local church plant in Basingstoke. I'm so proud. I watch her life and I think every day she has to make a decision to get up, even getting married to someone and saying, this could be what our life looks like. They had to take real courage to do something very different. My husband... um, For those of you who know Stu, you will know that his least favourite place to be would be at the front with everybody looking at him. If he was at a party in a room, it would be his least favourite place to be. His most favourite place would be in a really cosy armchair with a book on his own. Not even me there wittering on. His most favourite place. He is by nature an introvert. Every time I see him get up and do something publicly, start a church, preach, I'm reminded that he has to mix who he is with a big dose of courage because he's believed what God has said about him. And I think for myself personally, there are times where I just have to apply courage to my life. So becoming a mummy for me and deciding what kind of a mummy I wanted to be and has taken a huge amount of courage because oftentimes it looks very different to how other people might do it. And you'll know this if you're a mummy. You have to apply courage to what you believe the kind of mummy you're supposed to be, to be it. You have to apply courage because there are so many voices saying, do this, don't do this, do that. You have to apply courage and think, this is who I've chosen to be like and this is what I want to be. So I've seen 
many times courage in my life, and I'm sure you guys have. In the Bible, you'll see many examples of courage. Um, The most obvious one being Jesus. When you look at his life, when you look at his death, all of it took courage, great courage, even at the point of dying on a cross and knowing that he was to die on a cross. You know, he wept. And you imagine that even as a man, but a man God, he had to mix what he believed he was supposed to do with courage to get up and do it. But I wonder if you have a little think about who you think is courageous in the Bible, who you come up with. So I had a little think, and I was thinking of classic things like Daniel in the lion's den, you know, just thinking of the lions ready to, like, tear him apart. And in the toddler Bible, they, you know, the pictures are so lovely. They're fluffy lions, and they're like, rah! Um, and Daniel's like, Wah. Um Lions in the lion's den, and that would be a classic story. But I think probably one of my favourites you'll find in Mark. So if you've got a Bible and you want to turn to it, fine. If the dog ate your Bible or you dropped it in a puddle or something, I'm going to read it for you. So you're very blessed this morning. It's Mark 14, verses 3 to 9, and it's the woman that pours perfume on Jesus. So it says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, that in and of itself is staggering. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, you're like, like, like Simon, people just didn't go near people with leprosy. He's in the house with Simon the leper, eating. A woman came in with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves, indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you'll always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She's done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So this is a meal with just men. This is a woman who walks in. And the the Bible's not clear exactly who she is, but some would say she was the woman, um, the prostitute woman. Some would say she's Mary Magdalene. It's not clear, but she was certainly a woman who should have never have been in that environment. She certainly should have never have done anything so intimate as approach Jesus, break oil on him and touch him. Like, so you've got a leper sitting there who shouldn't have been there, and then you've got this woman who shouldn't have been there. And I was trying to think in our kind of society, I could only think of like, you know, a boys club kind of like maybe at a golf course or something where you have a gentleman's only lounge and only men are allowed, maybe some exclusive club in London where only men are allowed, and this woman walks straight in. She takes great courage because she recognises who Jesus is, and she wants to do something to honour him. He says, she's getting me ready for burial, like she saw something really prophetic and then acted on it. This is, like, truly courageous. She could have been dragged out, stoned, certainly she could have been dragged out. So she put herself right in the way of humiliation in order to worship 
Jesus. It's a beautiful story of courage. And it's a beautiful story of someone's heart. And that's, ultimately, I think that's what worship is. It's our heart response to what we know God has done. So there are days when sometimes you might not feel like it, but you know that God deserves it because it's an honour thing and a heart thing. So your physical body might be tired, aching. You might have had a row with someone, be in a bad mood. Your kids might have played up. At the end of the day, it's a heart thing. God has done something in the heart of you if you're born again, and your heart is responding to God. That's what courage is. It's a heart thing. It's something in the core of our being that responds to an almighty God, that responds to the prophetic, that responds to dreams. It's a heart thing. So I want to talk to you about who we are, and I want to spend the rest of the morning doing that, and I want to mix it up with a little bit of ministry. So this will look a little bit different. There might be pauses in it where we maybe just pray for someone, or there might be things that God is just doing in your heart that I want you to respond to. So this will look a little bit different this morning. So your second sheet talks about who you are. I wonder if you were asked in a social setting who you are, what your reply would be. So I think for many of us, we might say something like, well, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm a mummy, I'm a school teacher, I'm a... I think it would be rare for us to say, I'm a child of God, if someone said, who are you? More often than not, the question is asked of you, what do you do? So in this country, massive worth is placed on what you do. So it will be, hello, I'm so-and-so, I'm Melanie, oh, nice to meet you, what do you do? Really quickly... What do you do signifies really who you are. So I might say at the moment, I'm a mummy. And that would somehow give me some kind of identity and give the person a chance to look at who I am. That's not really true. So I'm not just a mummy. I'm also a wife. I'm also a friend. I'm also a sister. I'm I'm lots of things. But I might summarise myself in I'm a mummy. And you might summarise yourself in I'm a doctor, a teacher, a lawyer. I work for the council, I work in schools, I work, I'm a student, I'm a, that's how you might summarise yourself. This sheet of paper that I've given you is actually a better indication of who you are. If you're born again, this sheet of paper, and obviously many other sheets of paper, talk more about who you are as a person. And when you understand who you are as a person, I think you function properly. So I think if the church has a problem with evangelism and no one's being evangelistic, I, more often than not, I do not believe that's a training issue. I do not believe that's because no one has sat them down, told them how to talk to people and how to tell them their story. More often than not, I believe it's a heart issue. So it's, when I see a church that isn't functioning properly evangelistically, isn't seeing people reach, what I think to myself is, you haven't got the heart of God yet. And that's not a training thing. That's a heart thing. Like, God has to get you for the lost, and then you function out of it, regardless of your personality type, the training you've had. You cannot help yourself because God's got your heart. When I hear people aren't reading their Bibles, more often than not, I do not think that's a training issue. I don't think to myself, no one's explained to them how to read. More often than not, people will say, I don't enjoy reading, but will regularly go on the internet and read stacks of stuff on Facebook, on Google, on Wiki, will happily read stacks of stuff. I do not believe it's a reading issue. It's a heart issue. 
not got that actually if I feed myself with this word, I will then be able to function. And my life and my functioning as a Christian depends upon me reading this word. So it becomes my lifeline rather than this book that I'm not really keen on reading so I don't really read. I think if you hang around people long enough, there are many excuses you can come up for doing so many things that I often think are just heart issues. They're just you haven't grasped that this is essential to your life to read this book. You haven't grasped that because you've been saved by an almighty God, why would you not tell someone else about it? So I remember when I got saved thinking, how have I not heard this a million times? Have I not heard? I was 21. How have I not heard how truly amazing and significant Jesus Christ is and can be in your life? How has it taken this long for me to not hear about this wonderful truth? When you get it, your heart connects with it and you're like, right, okay. So this morning, I literally want to work on a heart. I want to do a little bit of heart surgery. Not really trained for it, but I want to have a little go. And I want to have a little tug on your heart and make sure that we're all in a place where I can then say to you, okay, let's go and let's work out the prophetic over us. Let's work out how we be a large, influential, reproducing church. So I'm going to read us through it and I'd like us to err on that side of slightly arrogant as the people of God. I think if any people on the earth should be slightly arrogant, it should be us. So I'm going to talk you through it. The Bible says this about us. It says, I am a new creation. What I find powerful about things like that is saying it out loud. So I'm going to break the silence and ask you to say out loud, I am a new creation. Only say it if you're born again, because it's not true of you if you're not. So if you're born again, out loud with me, say, I am a new creation. I am a new creation. Lovely. And that's in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. That means when I'm born again, there's something new about me that comes into being. So, born again is a correct title for being a Christian. However, you shouldn't have to say, I'm a born again Christian. I'm a Christian means I'm born again. I'm a new creation. I am born again, which is John 3, verse 7. You say this to yourself, I'm born again. You see, the enemy will go after that like nobody's business. Are you really born again? Did you really get saved? Do you really know Jesus? Do you think a Christian would behave like that? And you can hear these voices rolling around, but you don't read your Bible, you often sin. Are you sure? Satan will go after these things because they're true and he would like to undermine the truth. I'm a child of God. This, this to me is extremely crucial that we understand this one. I'm a child of God. It's been essential in my life. So my dad left when I was little. I need to understand something of being a child of God that has a father, and I need to understand that from the perfect father. That has a powerful and lasting effect on my life. I'm adopted into his family. Stuart's been going through Ephesians and looking at all these kind of things, being adopted, being children of God, being blameless, being holy. These things are supposed to affect our life, not just tickle our bellies on a Sunday morning. They're supposed to have impact and transform our life if we get them. I'm a co-heir with Christ. This means that I work alongside Christ. So what he feels passionate about, I do too. And I was saying to Stuart the other day, I want us as a local church to work out what it means to be good news to the poor. I want us to do that for so many reasons, including that there are poor people. And I just, 
I have plenty, therefore, like, in my head it just doesn't add up. There, there should be no poor people. There's enough food in the world for everybody. But there are some people who are greedy and some people who are starving. So in my head, I want all those things. I mainly want those things because Jesus cared about those things and talked about those things. And, and if I ever hear someone say, I don't really have a heart for the poor, I understand it, but I don't have a heart. I, I always think to myself, you've got to get Jesus then, because he had a heart for the poor. Like, he cared about the broken. He cared about those who were without and acted on it. Like, we, we sometimes just need to line ourselves up with God's heart and move close enough that he can kind of rub off on us and we can feel something of his heartbeat. We sometimes just need to be a bit more... Uh, a bit more downcast, a bit more sad. We sometimes need to let stuff on TV affect us in ways that it doesn't because we've seen it so many times. So you'll see on the news people starving in Africa and think to yourself, oh yeah, for years I've seen that, while you sit there and tuck in. And there's something wrong with that. It's a heart issue. That, and we need to tell ourselves these things. I'm a co-heir with Christ, which means what he cares about, I care about and I partner up with him and go next to him in it. So I don't really have a heart for children. Oh, I'm sorry. That doesn't marry up with who Jesus is. So he had a heart for all ages. And when we partner up with Jesus... We, we get something of his heart into our system. And I know that there will be some people that will excel in being good news to the poor and kids. and There will be people that excel in it, I know that. But for all of us, we want to get close enough that God's heart affects ours. Everything God gives to Christ is mine too. Like that, I just find breathtaking. I, I say that to myself. Everything God gives to Christ is mine too. Everything that he had access to, so all the miraculous, all the provision, everything is mine too. So I'm a co-heir and I get access to all the stuff. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Not even that tragic night where you sinned in ways that you can't even imagine telling anybody about. Nothing can separate you. Not even if you haven't read your Bible this week. Not even if you did not speak to Jesus this week. Not even if you shouted, swore, got drunk. Nothing separates you from the love of God. See, when you belong to Jesus, you're done. You belong. That's it. Job done. Your behaviour can be sorted out, but you're done. Nothing separates me from the love of God. I am dearly loved and filled with his love. I am a friend of God, which basically means I'm reconciled to God. So I'm right with God in such a way that we can be friends. I am made in the image and likeness of God. This one I want you to say out loud. I am made in the image and likeness of God. Can you say that out loud for me? And you should say it a little bit louder because it's beautiful. Go on, say it again. I am made... And this will be an issue that attacks not only women, but guys as well. This, over the years, has been seen as a female issue. Poor self-image. This is increasingly becoming a male and female issue. So increasingly, the rise of guys with anorexia is 
is just rising. And it's heartbreaking. On Radio 1, they did a little expose on anorexia, including that guy suffer with it. And they had some people ring in and talk about it. They had four guys ring in and talk about it. Heartbreaking. Hearing their stories of basically who they think they are. And most of them thinking that they are fat and ugly. And you were listening to them thinking, you don't know the truth that you're made in the image and likeness of God. Whenever there's issues with self-harming, with throwing up, with bulimia, with anorexia, there's a misunderstanding of who someone is. And so you can tackle the medical issues clearly and you can have counselling, but you also need to get who you are in order to see that change. And I know for some of you sitting here right now, this is a big issue and this will affect your life. Who you think you are matters. What you think you look like matters. If you think you are fat and ugly and irrelevant, you will then function out of that. At work, at school, with your friends, you then function out of that. And it's, I think it's time for us to take courage and choose to believe what God says. So he says you're made in the image and likeness of God. That, that isn't ugly, that isn't fat, that isn't, that's the image and likeness of God. I am like God, image and likeness. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You know this if you've had a baby and you've seen a scan. Like, there is nothing like it to blow your mind about how amazing our creator God is. When you see a scan, it, like, it is truly staggering to see this little person that is clearly knitted together beautifully. And like, you see the picture and you just think, I know that my God does that. It, it just cannot be an accident. It just cannot be by anything but design. If you haven't seen a scan picture, I've got a couple you can have a look at. They're truly amazing, the detail at 12 weeks that you can see kind of fingers, toes, heart. Like, you can see it all. Truly amazing. That has to be God. And you have to tell yourself stuff like that. I'm made in the image and likeness of God and I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That makes a massive difference to your life. I have eternal life in Jesus. I've missed out. I am in Christ and he is in me. So when I'm scared, when I'm facing things that require courage, I can say to myself... I'm in Christ and he is in me. So I am fairly sleep deprived at the moment. I have a small boy who thinks that sleeping is for wimps and has decided he's roughing it and he's up regularly. So I am severely sleep deprived. This morning I had to say to Jesus, I know that your words are in me. I know that you've got stuff to say. So I'm going to open my mouth and hope that some of them come out. You know, you have to, yeah, there are times when you literally have to cling on to the fact that he's in you and that you can function out of that. So when, you, when you're at work and someone says, how did you become a Christian or why do you go to church? Or, you have to trust that something of Jesus is going to come out when you open your mouth. You have to say to yourself, I know he's in me and I know I'm in him. So I know we're nice and secure and I know that when I speak, something of him will come out. I've been bought with a price and I belong to God. Sometimes belonging can have real negative kind of um, connotations like kind of slavery and stuff like that. Belonging is truly freeing and it's what certainly the generation I'm a part of craves. 
I think when a society starts having marital breakdown, you get a generation that starts craving belonging and security. And that we've got a generation that crave belonging and security. And this is something really powerful. It's been powerful since the beginning of time to belong, to truly belong. But it's what people are hunting for, hunting for some kind of belonging, attachment, something that they can connect with. Even our government, so David Cameron recognises that there's something about people belonging to something, working hard together, pulling rank, creating some kind of unit that feels like a family together. It's something extremely powerful. I'm one with Christ and I've been baptised into him. I am a saint and I am royalty. I am royalty is really interesting. So I'm, I'm a co-heir with Christ, but I'm, I'm in his family. So I'm somehow in the family tree of Jesus. So you know in the Bible when you just get loads of lists of people's names and you skim over them and go, oh my gosh, like basically a big long list of names you cannot pronounce. And then uh, if you're like me, I kind of whiz through and get to the bit where it starts talking about what that all means or a bit of story or something. If that great big list goes on, we're in it. We're in, the, we're in the family tree. We're in the line of Jesus. There's something about us that has a royalty to it. But I don't think you believe that when you meet most Christians. I, I don't know that you would look at Christians and think, man, you guys know that you are part of a family that's royal and you, you are going to inherit the earth. I'm not sure that people know that about Christians in this country. So in the week last week, there was an article, it it was taken from the Telegraph, and it was, one of the journalists was basically giving a plea for Christians to please stand up. Um, I always have a song going through my head when I um, say that, please stand up. Um, And please stand up and please speak out. So they were citing the incident that happened where the, um, the, the BA flight attendant had to remove a cross. And they were, they were saying what that needed was Christians to speak up and go, we will not be in the minority anymore. We will be heard. We will be taken seriously. But what it didn't have was that. It did not have the backing of a whole thousands and thousands of Christians standing up and going, we find that unacceptable. Therefore, we will boycott your flights. They did not have that voice. And this, this journalist, it was brilliant. As I read it, I was going, yes, yes. She's not even saved. She said, for goodness sake, Christians, stand up and speak out. And I was going, yes, 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 yes. Brilliant. But that means we have to understand who we are. We have to understand the end game. We have to understand what God has put in us. We have to get it. I am chosen and predestined. Or I am chosen predestined. Predestined simply means chosen. So I'm chosen, I'm predestined. Some people battle with that. I just think for me, you just have to say okay God, you chose me, you predestined me, you've chosen other people, alright. There's a great image of um, the doorway to heaven with a sign over it saying everyone's welcome and as people walk through it, closing the door and the sign on the back saying, but I chose you. And I think that's what it's like in the kingdom. The message is everyone's welcome. When you're in the kingdom, the message is you were chosen. And that's, we have to somehow battle with those two things and say, okay, God, everyone's welcome, but you're chosen. And that's, it's powerful to us. It means that you're not an accident. It means your life's not insignificant. It means that God sees you, knows you, has a plan for you. 
I'm called. Sometimes I'll ask Christians, what do you feel called to? And they'll say, oh, I don't have a sense of calling. I think, oh my gosh, read your Bible. It is all over it, what we are called to. So we're called by God to do work. And the, the Bible's full of it, of what we need to be getting up to in terms of planting churches, feeding the poor, operating our gifting, see lost people saved. Like it goes on and on. Be merciful. Be kind to one another. Give. Like the Bible's just absolutely full of it. It's all over the place of what we're called to. And God adds to that specific things, but we all have a general sense of calling. If you don't believe me, read your Bible. New Testament particularly, but the whole thing. It will tell you what you're called to. I'm holy and blameless. This is a particularly difficult verse to read if you're in any kind of sin. It's uncomfortable to hear that actually that is God, how God sees us and how God wants us to be and how God desires us and how, what the cross has done really. And there will be times when you sin and mess stuff up. You've you just got to put that right because who you're supposed to be is holy and blameless. I've died to sin. I'll say this to myself. Do you, do you know, sin issues, they tend to be the same thing over and over again and then you conquer it and then something else crops up. There's the same thing over and over again and you, you find yourself in it repeatedly and then there comes a point where you're like, I'm done with this. That stops now and you move on from it. Sin is not clever. It, it's always the same stuff. So whatever trips you up today is probably going to trip you up in five years' time if you don't deal with it. there's nothing clever about sin it's the same old boring stuff so if you are prone to getting drunk it'll be the same old boring stuff until you deal with it so that was mine so I loved to get wrecked really and dance and be crazy and that's what I loved to do and that tripped me up every single time until I made a decision for the next two years so I can get myself straight and not spend my entire morning in church repenting of everything I'm just not going to drink and it stopped tripping me up because well I didn't drink and then after two years I thought I'll reintroduce that but I've got a limit so you'll never see me out having more than two drinks because Melanie more than two drinks has to spend the entire morning repenting (laughs) and I know that about myself so I've died to sin therefore I will not let it control my life like I died to it Therefore, it cannot keep tripping me up. I have to make big decisions and go, that goes. So if you have a repetitive area that you're like, I'm so bored of this, do something about it that's as severe as cutting your arm off. So if your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. That's what Jesus is talking about. If your eye causes you to sin, pull it out. If there are sin areas that are tripping you up and stopping you, becoming who you're supposed to be, cut it off. And that for me, in my life, that's been the only thing that has worked, being severe with sin and saying, okay, that goes. Full stop, the end. And if ever I find myself in patterns of similar behaviour, it goes again. So I've had various points over the years where that goes again. Because I know I get sillier, mouthier and horribler. And then I have to deal with it all. And so that goes. And I think there are people sitting here who know there is stuff that trips me up over and over and over again. I'd ask someone... Say, what would it look for me to cut my arm off in this area? Because I think for us as a church, if we're going to corporately really go somewhere, we've got to get all these little bits and pieces sorted out. We've got to say, I died to sin, therefore I'll deal with it. Who knows, without, I won't get you to raise your hand, who knows that's you? So don't raise your hand, I'm just 
asking, who knows, that you have repetitive areas of sin that trip you up every single time. And it could be things you do or things you think. And I'm going to just allow just a few minutes to put yourself right with God on that and ask him what you should do about it. So just say to him, like, help me out. And I want to suggest that the thing that drops into your head, the thing that you're probably going to say, oh my gosh, that's too hard or that's outrageous, that'll be God speaking. So when it drops into my head that I should stop drinking, because I've been going out and saying you're only allowed four drinks, or you're only, um, but by the time you've had four, you, you're not making good decisions anymore. But I'm not. So then it became, you know, six or eight. And, and then you're definitely not making good decisions. So you'll know it. You'll think, oh, yeah. I'm just going to give you a moment to just put yourself right with God. Just repent. Just say, here I am again saying sorry for that. And ask him what it is you need to do to put that one right. And jot it down discreetly. You know, if I see, like, everybody scribbling, that's fine, you know. Just jot, jot down whatever you know that you need to do in order to tackle that one. And just, just scribble it down. And just say, okay, that's the deal I'm making with you today, God. I'll, I'll get that sorted. Because I know that I've died to sin. I know that it no longer has control over my life. I let it control my life, but it doesn't have control over my life. I'm dead to it. The Bible says that I'm free from sin and I'm justified. The Bible also says that I'm right with God, which is lovely. So when you repent, when, you, when you're born again, all that, you're just right with God. You're in right relationship with him. It's why sometimes I think it feels, although it's hard work becoming a Christian, it also has this feeling of, I've come home. There's something in your heart that just rests and goes, this is, this is where I was always supposed to be, because you're in right relationship with God. There's something very right about it. There's no condemnation. So if, if you are that person who you know, is stuffed up and you're going back to God, God isn't sitting there going, oh, gosh, here we go again. Look at you, stuffing up. Really? You're coming back again? You're pathetic. There isn't any of that. If you hear those voices, they're not from God, and you need to shut them up and say, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. All done. All done on the cross. All sorted. And you need to silence voices that say otherwise. That does something to your heart if you take them on board. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. And in the Bible, when it talks about that, it means right now I'm seated with Christ. And you might say, well, I've got to be honest, if this seat is in heaven, it's not very comfortable, and it's pretty bright blue, which isn't how I imagined heaven to look like. There's something in a Christian where you live in two worlds, where you live in the reality of here, but you also have a home in heaven and you also have a place in heaven. And, and it, it, I, I can't describe it really. It, it, you just do live in two worlds. There's something of a reality of being seated with Christ in heavenly places and being seated here on plastic bright blue chairs. There, there's something of a reality there. Um, I think it, there's something great about having that kind of access to God. Like I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ, therefore I can see what I'm supposed to be up to, I can hear it. There's something brilliant about being seated in two places. I'm part of Christ's body. 
You have to tell yourself that for belonging, but also in terms of, I have a part to play here. I'm part of his body. I'm part of his hands, his feet. I, I'm part of his voice. I'm, you know, it's a bit cheesy sometimes when Christians say, oh, I'm the hands of Jesus. And you think, oh, really? It's a, bit, a little bit creepy and a little bit cheesy. But there's something very right about it. So we function in people's lives as the hands of Jesus. So some people say, I don't feel like you know, God can come and give me a hug when I'm really struggling. But the person next to you could. And there could be something of God in that. Definitely. So I've at times experienced God's love through the hands of a person in church who's just hugged me at the right time, talked to me at the right time. You know, there is something about us functioning like that. The kids, by the way, I've asked Anna to literally bring the kids in when they're done. So they will come in in the next few minutes, so you don't need to go and collect them. And I've said, because I'm hardcore, that I will cope with the noise while we're carrying on doing a little bit of ministry. Okay, so they will come in. They've not got shakers and stuff, so they'll come in. I want to say quietly, but no, my son won't. They'll come in and there will be a bit of noise and a bit of commotion, and then we're going to lead into worship out the back of this, okay? What I'd like you to do is pick up your piece of paper and stand up for me. This is, I want to teach you how to get this stuff into your heart, really. So what I do with stuff like this, so I have this sheet of paper folded up in my Bible. I regularly get it out and speak it over myself. So sometimes I might look in the mirror and speak it to myself. Sometimes I walk around the house. Sometimes the boys are just playing and trashing the place, and I just speak it out. For me, it really works to have it out loud. Uh, I read better if I read out loud. I don't skip stuff. And stuff can really penetrate your heart when you read stuff out loud. I also pause sometimes when I think I haven't got that one in my heart and I need to do some repenting. So when your heart is not right, you need to get yourself before God, repent of it and ask him to help you out in it. So when you don't believe the stuff you're reading or saying, you have to sort it out with God, really. So instead of going, oh yeah, well I don't believe that anyway, and carrying on, you have to pause and go, I'm going to sort that out. So I'm going to get us to read these out loud, and I just want you to pause at various points. If you think personally, I need to just do a bit of business with God here, I'm going to ask you to literally kneel, sit, do whatever you like to sort yourself out with God. Scoop your children up into it. They're, they're welcome here. And I'm going to ask you to read it out loud. So you have to be able to hear it. Satan has to be able to hear it. Your little voices in your head have to be able to hear it. God likes to hear it. So he likes to hear that we agree with his word. So we're just going to literally go through it. Not reading out where it's from in the Bible. We're literally going to go, I'm a new creation. So one, two, three... I'm a new creation, and the volume needs to be much louder. So if you're going to scare anybody with who you are, it ought to be loud enough to hear. So I am a new creation. I am born again. I'm a child of God. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Jesus. I'm dearly loved and filled with his love. I'm a friend of God, reconciled to God. I am made in the image and likeness of God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
I am in Christ and he is in me. I have eternal life in Jesus. I have been bought with a price and I belong to God. I am one with Christ. I've been baptized into him. I am a saint. I am royalty. I am chosen, predestined. I am called. I am holy and blameless. I've died to sin. I am free from sin, justified. I am right with God, righteous. I have peace with God through Jesus. There is no condemnation for me. I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. I am part of Christ's body. I am commissioned by Christ. I am a citizen of heaven. I am an ambassador of Christ. I have an inheritance in him. I am being transformed into the image and likeness of Christ. I've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit, the kind that lasts. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay guys, I'm going to ask you very quickly, if you found some of that hard to read or hard to believe, I'm going to ask you to just come down the front. I do not want to see just women here, okay? If you found some of that hard to read and hard to believe and you'd like to do some business with God, I want you to just come down the front and we're going to just pray with you and minister to you. If you believed it all, amazing. This will be an outrageous church. There's a nice big space down the front and I can promise you you'll be prayed for. Just Ben then. Awesome. And me. Awesome. Anyone else? It's not scary being prayed for. It's actually releasing. Sometimes God just has to get in there and just deal with some heart issues. And when he's done with your heart you can then function much better. It's, it's beautiful. The rest of you are going to function beautifully. I can feel it. Oh, I'm excited. Okay, I'd love some people to come and pray with these guys, all right? And prophesy over them. Ask them just what they want to put right with God. I would suggest, because there will be some personal things, like girls go with girls and guys go with guys, because if there are personal things people want to share, just might feel a bit more comfortable. Yeah. So can we have some people just come and pray? If you're born again and breathe in, and you've got a hand, you can lay hands on someone, or an elbow or something. Just ask, ask the guys what they want to put right with God, what they're struggling to believe. Get them to repent, put some stuff right with God and then we're going to pray and worship like we've never worshipped before.